Thank you, Karen. Not sure I would have broken the lamb's leg, though. In one of my books, there's some other inventive ways to keep it from running wild like that. But they do run quite wild. And this is a picture of our little lamb. She was born last Sabbath. We got home from church, and there she was. So, yeah. It's amazing to see how the mother, her voice changes when she has a lamb. And what I mean by that is she is grunting and making noises she never made before, and she's doing it right at the lamb. And, and I noticed the same thing with our other sheep that had her lamb, our other you who had her lamb, middle this week. And she, before that lamb was born, didn't talk anything like this. <laughs> and when she had this baby, she, she just grunts and makes little noises. And that's the, that's the only way that she talks to that little one. And it's interesting. I don't know what she's saying all the time, but it seems like the little lamb knows exactly what she's saying. But I'm sure there's an object lesson in there somewhere for us. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you come to each one of us. That though there are times when we have to trust you, sight unseen, we do trust you. We do trust that you are sending the Holy Spirit upon our hearts as we open up your word now. We trust that you will lead us and guide us to glean the lessons we need to have from your word so we can share with others. And really, we can just be encouraged as we study together here today. Thank you for those who've taught the lessons so far on the Holy Spirit in the Sabbath school classes. Thank you for the songs about the Holy Spirit. And now guide us with the Holy Spirit as we consider this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. This series each year from February into March is staying connected. And the goal is that whatever your relationship with God has been in the last year, you will continue to stay connected with him and keep that relationship strong. And if you don't have a relationship with him, you will become connected with him and stay connected with him. But this one is called Indwelling Love. I remember I was reading about Harry Truman this week, and I was at the Smithsonian website, and they had a whole bunch of his letters there in, in picture form. You can go there and you can find that after a number of years of marriage, he made a list from the first year of marriage all the way down. Uh, every year he, he wrote something about that year of marriage. It was quite interesting. And I know our world looks at Valentine's Day and all this rigmarole, but as I was reading this letter, I thought there are some years where he, did, he wrote something very simple, um, almost like uh, nothing much mentionable, you know. But <laughs> that didn't mean a lot didn't happen that year. It just meant that our relationship was steady. Our relationship continued as normal. But I was also looking at the facts on that website, and from 1910 onward, 53 years of marriage, he wrote 1,300 letters to his wife. A lot of them when he was in office as president of the United States. Now you can imagine a busy schedule with a president who doesn't have all the conveniences of travel we have today necessarily. He had some, but imagine his busy schedule. And yet on some years he would write a letter every day, especially in some years where he faced tremendous trial. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, here we are in the 21st century, way beyond 1910 onward, way beyond the middle of the 1950s. And we have all kinds of ways to keep in touch. Each one of you has a cell phone, right? Most of you have a cell phone of some kind or a home phone or an email account. And, and some of you think, May thinks this is a remote, but it's, it's a flip phone. And 
It's still in style. People still use them. But we have all these methods of staying connected or staying in touch. But I think the sentiment is still the same, isn't it? That a relationship needs to have a connection in order to be fostered. It needs to have that mode of communication, regardless of how simple it is, or in some places archaic. I still have a stack of a tin of letters from when I wrote my wife when we were dating. In times when we'd be apart, I would write a letter, and she'd be out camping somewhere, and I would, I would wish that that letter could get to her, but it would have to wait until she, get, she got back because I didn't know where she was at out in the Oregon wilderness. And one time I remember wanting to get in touch with her and just continue our relationship. And so I told my twin brother and my dad, let's go out to the North Umpqua, and maybe we'll find her out there camping somewhere. I didn't have a clue where she was camping at. Okay, and we just went up this, this uh, first it was paved and then it became a dirt road. And then I remember uh, there was a couple of campgrounds along the way and it's like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. which one do we choose? And at one point I remember we pulled over off the side of the road and my dad said, we're not gonna find her. I mean, it's, it's, like, a, it's like there's all these campgrounds out here and all this forest, there's no way you're gonna find her. And what if they didn't camp at a campground? And I said, let's just keep going. And we went up to the next campground, and I still remember pulling into the campground and seeing this log going down into the lake. And it was Lake in the Woods up in Oregon, and there was an individual fly, fly fishing, of all things, on this lake. And I said, that's her brother. We found him. And so I went over there and I talked to him. I said, which camp, campsite are you in? And I still remember sitting around the, the campfire, and we passed the Big Franks around. We were hosting Big Franks and just talking. And then eventually I said goodbye, I went back to town. But I still remember that emotion of, I really want to keep this relationship going. I, I can't stand being apart for a week or two weeks while they're out there camping. Do we still have those types of desires in our relationships today? I went down to a class for my last intensive class for my doctorate. And these guys, we've sat in hour upon hour upon hour of classes, some of which we don't even agree with, some of the professors, and we would argue with the professors in a good way. And this is a picture from that class. A lot of people in this picture. But we have a method of staying connected, too. It's Facebook. We, we will message each other. We'll get on a conference call periodically with groups within this big group. But we will stay connected. And in this last class we took, we faced a lot of challenges. We were looking at the church organization as a world organization. And as you know, there's a lot of things that are trying to be brewing up from that perspective. And our professor didn't help much because he was critical of some people. And we had to keep going after him a little bit to hold him to task for the classwork. But I still remember thinking to myself, we have a lot of challenges, but look at the friendships we have made in this group. Various backgrounds. In fact, uh, this big guy in the back here, Joel, I still remember going to Olive Garden with him for the first time and a couple of the others. And they have some you know, funny ways of talking. And he said, you know, you're awful quiet. You know, we're, we're a black Italian family. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, some of us are from Bermuda, but we like to talk. And if you're going to get a word in edgewise, you need to start talking. Because you know? there you are, I'm kind of an introvert, and, and these people are, are just jumping all over each other in the conversation. And in the last class period, he said, and, and we have a member of our black Italian family back there, Murray. 
This is the relationship we had. And just these short periods of time over four years. And yet as I think about marriage relationships, as I think about friendships, as I think about church members, church family, because the Seventh-day Adventist Church became my family when my family basically ostracized me for the most part. I think about the closeness we need to have as a people. And yet there are some challenges ahead. And I ask myself some questions. How does the church become more loving? And I know this church has a great capacity for love and we have, as far as most visitors who come here, they have felt welcome and loving, but we can do more. How can we become more loving? Or in the world sphere, the world church sphere, a broader level of the organization, when factions seem to be fighting with each other, how can we encourage them to be more loving as we desire to be more loving? How can we be more willing to listen to each other when we have differing opinions? And that class, that group of people there you saw, lots of different viewpoints. But yet when it came down to it, we were solid in our faith. How can we become more like Jesus when challenging times face us, not only in the political world, but in our church as well? Well, I believe the answer is in the words of Jesus. Shouldn't really surprise you. This is where I go oftentimes. This is John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17. I'll put it up on the screen, but you can follow along in whatever version you'd like to. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, so that he may be with you forever. All these other relationships I've been talking about, there is that desire to be with that person or be with that group or to foster that relationship or to continue it all the way, in my, in my mindset, all the way to the earth made new. That's what I want. I want to see all these people I have influenced or influenced me or along the way have encouraged each other to be there forever. And really, that is a desire that we find written in this text. Jesus sends the comforter he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's, that's a conditional statement there. Keep them. And we know later on he talks about one of those commandments is to love one another. It really is just a summary, right? We've, we've talked about this in the Adventist circles for many years. Loving one another is, is like the last six commandments. In the first four, loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Those are the things that we build our foundation upon. If we're willing to do that, he says, then I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. A friend who walks beside you. And you can research the term paracletus and figure what that is. Someone you can call beside you. Jesus was the one who was beside them for those three and a half years. He's saying, I'm gonna give you someone else. And he will be with you forever. But it's conditional, it's based upon this condition up here of loving Jesus and keeping his commandments. Have we received that comforter? Some of you wouldn't even be here today if you hadn't received that comforter. If you look back in your life, you see the events, and there's that steady stream of providence, that steady stream of events that just led you along to where you're even here today, and me as well. It's evidence that God has sent that comforter to us and led us along this journey of life so far. But he wants to do even more says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him. This is really the problem with worldliness if you want to talk about it. 
if we want to be blunt, the more we are attached to this world, the less we are attached to the spiritual realities that this text is talking about. It's not that we have to become a list keeper that, oh, I've got to get rid of this and that. It's that we want to put aside any hindrance and the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And we want to run this course. We want to, we want to be truly with this Holy Spirit guiding us. That's why some people say, well, I gave up this and I gave up that when I became a Christian. You let go of trash. Let's just call it what it is. All those things that this world holds dear is nothing but trash. It's all going to be burned up in the big incinerator at the end of time. The houses, the lands, the stocks, the bonds, everything that this world sees, and, and later on I'll talk more about that, but if we're so focused on that, we will not be able to receive the Holy Spirit. It says here, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him, Jesus says, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Notice he dwells with you. It's external. In essence, he's with you. Soon in the Greek, so he's with you. But he'll be, he will be in you. Looking forward to Pentecost and beyond. Looking forward to after the resurrection when he breathes upon them the Holy Spirit. Still kind of external there, but what do we find happening later on? The Holy Spirit becomes internal. It's one thing to have an external spirit convicting you and bringing things to mind, that still small voice, but it's another thing to have an abiding presence. There's a difference. It's kind of like reading the Bible, and it's interesting. It makes you feel good when you're reading the Bible, but it doesn't really take root. It's got to be more than that, more than external, because here Jesus says the Holy Spirit eventually will go internal. And why is this important? This text shows me that God values us so much that he would make a deposit in our lives. Ephesians says that this is the down payment. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for those who are sealed. His value is extreme. Read this quotation, Desire of Ages. The Lord is disappointed when his people place a low estimate upon themselves. Don't browbeat yourself. Don't look down upon yourself. You and of yourself, yes, we are filthy rags, but praise be to God, he has exalted us. He is disappointed when his people place a low estimate upon themselves. He desires his chosen heritage. That's what he calls us. You're his chosen heritage. I'm his chosen, chosen heritage. His blood-bought heritage, another place she says. He desires his chosen heritage to value themselves according to the price he has placed upon them. What is the price? God wanted them, else he would not have sent his son on such an expensive errand. The price of our salvation was expensive. You look at the perfect obedience of Jesus. That is still what he asks for. Perfect obedience to the law of God. But you and I know as we look in the mirror, we cannot render that. Jesus did that. He lived the perfect life for us. He died the death that we deserve. That was an expensive errand. And imagine the son being sent from his father. And his father deep down is feeling a tremendous sorrow. And so imagine here goes his son into this world. And as he knows his world, this world's going to reject him. They're going to crucify and place a crown of thorns upon this son. 
Any of you who've had children or been around children, you know, if someone was to do that to an innocent, what would you be tempted to do? You would intervene. You would want to intervene. Especially if they're your own flesh and blood. This is an expense that he was willing to pay. This is how much he values you and me. This idea of eternal value over there on that banner is right there in the Bible, right here in this beautiful quotation. He has a use for them, not just to redeem us. He has a use for them, and he is well pleased when they make the very highest demands upon him that they may glorify his name. We're not doing all these things just to build up a building or build up a ledger or build up things in this world or to see how many people can come up to our estimation. We're doing this to glorify the Father. You find Jesus mentions we're the light of the world. And he also talks about that they may see your good works and glorify who? The Father. So you have a complete package. We're saved and we know that it's all by, because of Jesus, but then he has a work for us to do. Because if we're saved, if, if you want to use the term that way, if, if we have accepted his gift for us, his sacrifice for us, then we've also then accepted him into our lives. We, we basically asked for that down payment of the Holy Spirit. And it's no longer us living anymore, but him living through us. So who gets the glory? It's only him. He has a use for us. So we're his chosen heritage. He wants us. We're expensive, worth the expense to him. And it says they may expect large things if they have faith in his promises. We have yet to see the large things, at least in North America. We're seeing them in spots. We're, we're praising God when we see things happen as his Holy Spirit leads. People's hearts opening up and giving coats and people's hearts opening up to literature and being changed. All these stories, and there are lots of stories here in this building right here today, show us that he has already done things for us. But I believe the time has come for us to expect him to do even more for us. So this is our value in him. And so I have some questions then. So I'm reading that text in John 14, which says, if you love, then this my question is, when love is not present then, in other words, if it's somehow hindered in a group or in a home or in a heart, is God's spirit as present as it should be? I mean, we, we know that there's still that external reality, but if somehow we put a barrier between our hearts and God, then that means the Holy Spirit is not indwelling like it should be. If we do the same thing in a family, if there's dissension and all kinds of stuff in the home, a lot of times that can inhibit the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit can't work through that, not that God can't work through that, but it's an inhibiting factor in a body of Christ, a group like this, and many who aren't even here today. If there is a lack of love for one another, or relationships deteriorate, then I believe the Holy Spirit will not be as present as it should be. And that's a sad fact. Another question I had was, can the Spirit dwell in us when disunity with others reigns? If, we have a, if you have a grievance with somebody here today or someone who's not here today, I would say take care of it because there will be something down the line where, where that, can, that can create bitterness if it's not taken care of. That can create a distance in a relationship 
and it feels like a huge Grand Canyon after a while. It's easier to take care of it at the beginning than to let that keep lingering on. And so I believe the Spirit can dwell with us, and it will, but there's also this idea of, of grieving the Holy Spirit, and we don't want to do that. When our selfish pursuits reign over us, and we over those around us, can the Holy Spirit dwell with us? There are a lot of selfish pursuits in this world. Just the day-to-day. Think about the day-to-day. The amount of time we spend doing things. Not that we shouldn't, but I'm saying if that pursuit begins to reign over us and take precedence over the spiritual things, and then we then treat others the same way, it's almost like putting a wet blanket on a fire. And so I'm not going to guilt you, and I put down their guilt must not drive us to pursue this love. I wanted you to see the, the beautiful value. That's why I pursue my relationship with the Lord, because he first pursued me. The Bible says he first loved us. That's why we love him. And so if I value him, then Lord, I want to have that same love that you have for me, for all those around me I come in contact with. And for some of you, this is preventative. I'm just saying it because it's there. It may not be your current situation, but I'm saying this is what I want to realize as I interact with my fellow Christians, as I interact with people around in the community, that I want to be a conduit for his love. Jesus said in John 14, I will not leave you orphans, so we don't have to do this on our own. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world does not see me anymore. So imagine this. I'm going to come to you, but the world's not going to see me anymore. But you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So he's going to come, and the previous text talks about the Holy Spirit. So he's going to come to us through the Holy Spirit. But the question is, he says, you see me. And the question I had was, Murray, do you, do we see Jesus? I'm not talking some mystical weird thing. I'm talking about as we read the word of God, do you see Jesus in our beautiful teachings as a Seventh-day Adventist church? Do you see him in the Sabbath teaching? Do you see him? I mean, it's obvious in the second coming teaching, but do you see him in the health teaching? Do you see him in the sanctuary teaching? We have a lot of beautiful truths as a denomination, as a group, but they all cluster around him. We're even told that all the truths from Genesis to Revelation, basically, should be seen in the light that streams from the cross of Calvary. That's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? And I've quoted to you over and over again here. But Laodicea's problem is that they don't hear the knock on the door And they don't see their need for Jesus. They don't see Jesus. They're blind. You know the whole text. And so as I start considering this, Jesus says, I'm going to come to you. And my question was, as I read that, who stopped coming to the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day? Who stopped? It was their sin, wasn't it? It was Adam and Eve. It wasn't him. It says in Genesis, it's pretty clear. He came 
even after the fall, to the garden in the cool of the day. So he continues, because this text is many years later. He says, I will come to you. Every day he comes to us. If he's in us, then it's a pretty easy equation. If he's external, outside of us, we need to invite him to guide us and be in our lives. We need him in us. Psalm 3, 5 says, I arose, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Who was that creator Lord in the Old Testament, the one who breathed into the nostrils the breath of life? John 1 is pretty clear, it's Jesus. And so Jesus sustains us. Psalm 4, 8, I will lie me down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, maketh me dwell in safety. It's the Lord again, from the beginning of the day down to the end of the day. It's him, everything in between. So he still comes to us. And he wants to be in us. So how do I start this or continue this loving relationship? Well, this is where your Bible comes in. John chapter 1. Some of these I'm going to summarize because I'm just going to quote them. And I know this one too, but John chapter 1. You know, John was just a lamp who gave light. He was not the light. Verse 8. Go down to verse 10 through 12. This light who gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And John 3.16, and the whole chapter of John 3 says, that comes through the Spirit. So we are his children if we are born from above, if we are born again, born from above. But we have to receive him. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so then the question is, have I received him today? If you've been a Christian for a while, it's a practice that Paul says he dies daily. What is he dying daily to? Himself. So that means he's receiving anew every day this relationship. He's continuing it. John 3, 16 and 17, you know that one. God so loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Next verse, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or judge it, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, the verdict of guilty is only remaining on your record and mine if we let it remain there. Interesting audio version back there. In John 5, 24, verily, verily, Jesus says, I say to you, those who hear my word, and believe in him who sent me, have everlasting life. It seems clear, and I could give you a whole plethora more of texts, a whole bunch more. We hear the word. We choose to trust it's applicable to us. It applies to me. We stand firmly on it. And there's some kind of equation that takes place. It's more than just saying, well, I know about Jesus. It's deeper than that. I mean, I, know, I knew about Marie Brewer. She played the guitar up in front of the church when I first came to church. But I didn't know her. 
until I decided to carry her books one, one afternoon up at the college. I said, you know what, Lord, you keep putting this person in my path, and I think you're leading me to a relationship with her. I'm going to go carry her books. So I go over there, and she's like, uh, okay. Right? A little rocky start, and I'm like, oh, did I do the wrong thing here? And then I go open her door for her class, right? I was raised that way. That's, that's basically how you treat a lady. Okay, and then it's not saying that she can't open the door, and it's not saying that she can't carry her books. It's just respect. Let's get over this whole thing, okay? It's not saying they're weaker or anything like that. It's just respect. That's the way I respected my mom. If I, my mom would let me open her door, I'd open the door for her. Some of us were raised that way. But I fostered that relationship. It was more than just, oh, okay, there she is. See her once a week, church. I decided to foster that relationship. And this is the same thing with Christ. We cannot just talk about him and, and know facts about him and, and say, well, maybe someday I'll get to know him. It's we know him or not. We're in a relationship with him or not. And I know some people don't like that word relationship, but it's all over the place in the text. There's some kind of deep oneness that begins to take place. If you don't want the word relationship, use the word oneness when we ask him into our lives. And so how do we start? Here's an interesting quotation. It says, there are many flippant talkers of Bible truth. And don't let that one slap you too hard. But anyway, if it's you, fine. If it's me, there, there we go. I, I read it about me when I read it. There are many flippant talkers of Bible truth whose souls are as barren of the Spirit of God as were the hills of Gilboa of dew and rain. In our class, we were talking about the geography. There are portions of Israel that are just totally dry. So she's saying there are souls who are barren of the Spirit of God, yet they talk about the Bible. We don't want to be like that. That's what I took to my heart when I read this. But what we need is men who are thoroughly converted themselves and can teach others how to give their hearts to God. Not really that hard. <laughs> we make it hard. The power of godliness has almost ceased to be in our churches, and why is this? That's her question. Maybe you've got an answer for her. She's already diagnosed it. It's barren of the Spirit of God. And that's back in a day when they would ride horse and buggy and eventually later on railroad and all of that. They would ride and miles to get to a church building. They'd go out and they'd, they'd take care of their animals first thing and then be off to church. That's why it started at 9.30. There's a whole charter membership back in a Michigan church where they sat down and said 9.30 because they needed time to take care of the animals and milk the cow and then get over to the church building. That's why 9.30 was chosen. They were all up early. Hard-working, very religious, sincere people, and yet she's saying back then, in that type of day and age, barren of the Spirit of God. I think it could definitely apply to us. Why has the power of godliness almost ceased to be in our churches? She goes on, the Lord is still waiting to be gracious. Why, go back to the question, why is this? We've made him wait. It's kind of like the Revelation 3 thing. He's knocking. He's waiting. You think the natural thing would be to open the door. But it isn't happening in her day. The Lord is still waiting to be gracious. He has not closed the windows of heaven. We have separated ourselves from him. We need to fix the eye of faith upon the cross. Not the, you know, the, you know, not the symbol, but what it symbolizes, Jesus. And believe that Jesus is our strength, our salvation. Wow. So he's waiting to be gracious, and in the meanwhile, there's a drought, a barrenness, a dryness in the church, 
And that's in her day, it could apply to our day. And she says, the cure is to fix the eye of faith upon the cross and believe that Jesus is our strength, our salvation. But yet, I have this newspaper. If I was to hold it up, some of you would get excited about what's on the cover. Certain five-letter last name. Ten days, twenty executive or twenty orders. Over here on the side, lists money, sports, all kinds of things, entertainment, hobbies are listed in this thing. Why do we spend time reading this? I picked this up at a hotel. I was like, wow, I better keep track of this guy. He's, he's really busy. Almost sounded like a, a, and I won't go as deep as Alan went the other day, but it almost sounded like a, the amount of projects that he's talking about. It reminded me of Weimar Republic. I mean, just a building program and all this and camps. and okay. So, and I'm not going to preach a sermon on that because I'm not going to divide our church over that. But I'm appalled at the amount of time people spend reading this stuff. It's one thing to pick it up every once in a while. We say we need to have our hands on our Bibles and in the newspaper. But what happens when, when it crosses over and the newspaper basically has two hands on it? It's, not, it's one thing to be aware. But if I was to do, and a study has been done in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as the amount of time we as members spend in Bible study, it's appalling the amount of time we spend in Bible study versus the amount of time we spend news or media. And I'm not opposed to these mediums. God has used these things. He can use a newspaper. You can, you can put an ad in here like we do for dinner with the doctor. But if this is our diet, and you can use this as an example of many other different kinds of reading material, other different kinds of content that we look at, it's a pretty, it's a pretty shallow thing that's going to really go away, isn't it? I mean, what, at what point is politics going to have anything to do with the kingdom of God once the earth's made new? Business. The only business I'm going to be about is my father's business, and Alan will be an ambassador too, probably. Maybe him and I can go over to some distant world together. You guys will be ambassadors. That's our business. That, our business is to tell people about Jesus, even in the coming ages. Sports, I mean, come off of it. It's become the mecca of religion in our country, besides Wiccanism and, and all kinds of darkness. Entertainment all kinds of movie choices, the kinds of which that even the Romans would cringe at. Hollywood is producing. And the hobbies, it's okay to have a hobby. We're told to have hobbies. We shouldn't just do brain work, I understand. But when those hobbies take up the exorbitant amount of time that God should have, and I'm not saying you've got to sit there in your Bible all day long. I'm not saying that. You tune your mind to heaven. You put scriptures in there. And then throughout the day, scriptures and songs come to mind to face things that you never could face on your own. That's pretty simple. It's not saying you've got to become a monk. You know, like I said before, I'm an introvert. I wouldn't mind becoming a monk. But the gospel does not allow that. It does not allow that. And so as I ask myself, Murray, where do you spend most of your time looking? What atmosphere do you breathe? Because this atmosphere of this world is going away.
And then I read this again. We all have to be thoroughly converted. Fix the eye of faith upon the cross and believe that Jesus is our strength, our salvation. I don't care what it looks like for you in your daily life. I'm just here to encourage you to keep doing that if you're doing it. If you're not doing it, lay everything else aside for a little while. Take a fast. We've got media fast and this fast and that going on. Daniel diet by this author and that. You know, there's lots of fasts going on out there. Fast from the media for a little while. And spend that, some of that time. You think, say you spend four hours on Facebook a day. Some people do that. I keep getting, I go on there maybe once or twice a week. And I'm not saying you can't keep connected. But does it take four hours a day? I mean, I was on there and this person sent me a message here and there and there and there. And then I'm just like, well, you've been on there a long time. This game request and that game request. And I'm like, I don't play those games. Between the pulpit and the field, it seems like, and you know, visiting you guys in your homes. I don't have time for all of that. And when I spend my time in prayer, I go to the cross in the words of Jesus. That's what I have to do because I know I'm faulty. And I know if I don't keep focused on him, then I'm going to be looking at others. And forgive me if I feel, feel like I'm looking at you. I'm not. I'm just I'm thinking out loud here. And so I need to look and live daily. And that begins by dying daily. It's a simple equation. Dying daily helps us live daily. In John 14, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them. This is a possessive idea. It's the same thing that you get down in Revelation where they, they have the spirit of prophecy. It's, it's, a, it's a possessive. Do I possess it? Do I feel like it's part of who I am? He who has my commandments and keeps them or possesses them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Jesus will come to us personally. And all talks about the presence of Jesus coming, him coming to us. Just like he did in the garden of the cool of the day. Could be scary if, if we don't know much about him or we don't spend much time with him. If all of a sudden he was to do it, it would overwhelm us. But if we have those times with him, and then he comes to us, speaks to you through the text. It's not a scary thing. Galatians 2 says we can be changed by dying. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's how the equation goes. I have to die, and then I'm changed, and then he lives through me. And so any good that you see in me isn't Murray. I can I could show you Murray. I got pictures of Murray. It's Christ. And anytime you see something negative, it's Murray, okay? Just say, that's Murray creeping up again. But I'm going to give him some grace because I know that he's wanting to put that thing to death all the time. He's trying. And I'll give the same grace to you. And what's, what's really concerning to me is I was reading Matthew 25 the other day, and it seemed concerning to me because here are people who did miracles in his name and all of this, and he says, I never knew you, and I thought... Wouldn't that be almost worse than being an unbeliever? I mean, to know all this stuff and then do all these things for him and then not really know him? What, are we do what would we be doing them for anyway? That, that really came to my mind as I read that. They did all these things, cast out demons in your name and all of this, and he says, I never knew. Why did they do all these things? Why would I, if I was that person, do all those things and he say, I never knew you? 
Because I did them for the wrong reason, probably. That's how I internalized it. Maybe I was like Simon Magus, who, who thought he could buy the Holy Spirit. You know, some kind of equation. If I go through certain things and do certain things, the Holy Spirit's working through me. I believe the Holy Spirit is freely given to those who invite him to be in their lives. That's why Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 8, when Christ's prayer is fully believed, when, it is inst- when its instruction is brought into the daily life, this is talking about the Lord's Prayer, daily life of God's people, unity of action will be seen in our ranks. Brother will be bound to brother in the golden bonds of the love of Christ. The Spirit of God alone can bring about this oneness. So those questions come back. Why is there a lack of disunity? Why selfishness? Why lack of talking, commitment, all of that? Those questions at the beginning. This, this and all those other Bible verses tell us it's because of a lack of conversion. That's the real issue. And this talks about being brought into the daily life. This, this is about personal devotions in the home, which then helps us associate with each other. And there are devotional guides in the foyer. You've got your quarterly. There's so many resources. You've got those smartphones. You can go find all those resources to stay connected with Christ. We look at Jesus for unity, but she says we should do it for a thoughtful hour each day. If I stay here for 20 years, you're going to hear this quotation, I don't know how many times. The Lord doesn't come. You're going to hear this thing over and over again. A thoughtful hour. And I don't care if you break it up. 20, 20, 20, 30, 30, hour, 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 and whatever. Break, get the thoughtful hour in. In contemplation of the life of Christ, take it point by point. Let the imagination grasp each scene. She, allows, she talks about imagination, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him, that's that belief, will be more constant. Our love will be quickened. We shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. This is that spirit idea again. How can we have the indwelling of his love? It's this. This is the method I use. It's simple. Very simple. An hour a day. And you say, well, there's 24 hours in the day, right? That's not even a tithe of that. All right, okay. Minimum, right? You would think this would be minimum, especially here at the end of time. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. And so I ask the question, do you want the latter rain? Do you want the earth lightened with his glory? Then you've got to behold his glory. That's how Moses was changed. That's how his face shone. And so our need is clear. Jesus shows the need for humanity to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And if he needed the Holy Spirit, how much more so do we need the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to begin by looking to Jesus. I'm going to look at his words, his works, his miracles, beautiful things he's done, his sacrifice. And then I'm going to look beyond that because that's not the end. There's the risen Jesus and the beautiful things that he taught his disciples and poured out that Holy Spirit when he was inaugurated as king of heaven and his soon coming. There's so much to think about. Let's begin with those things and then continue on. You know, I was at that cohort, like I said at the beginning. All kinds of challenges came up in that class. But the thing I kept coming back to was, Murray, there are a lot of challenges in the church. There are a lot of challenges in the world. Keep spending time with me. Don't get distracted. Not that you shouldn't be aware, but don't get distracted. Because that's that path that goes all the way to the end that we saw early on in our Adventist history. It's focusing on Jesus. 
and swinging across like James White did. That's what I want to do. Dwelling in me. If Jesus is dwelling in me, I can face everything, and so can you. I'm going to invite us to basically, you can kneel, you can remain seated, whatever. I'm going to ask you just to have a minute of prayer with the Lord or two for you to apply this. I'm going to pray something like this. You can pray whatever's on your heart. If you don't know what to pray, it's okay. I never prayed out loud for many years, a couple years as a Christian. I didn't know what to say. But say it in your mind. Lord, here's my life. Take control of it. I want to be your child. Be in me. Guide me. Help me be the child you have me to be. Or if you've already committed to him, just say something to commit to him anew here today. And after this brief time of prayer, we'll have our closing song, which the words will be up on the screen. Father, thank you so much for the words of Jesus that reminds us that we can have this indwelling love in our hearts. Once again, we invite you into our lives today. Guide us each day to be reminded of this need all the way into that beautiful earth made new. I pray that everyone here will be there and that we'll be the children you'd have us to be all the way to that beautiful place. In Jesus' name, amen.